They did it. They really freaking did it. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Lombardi Time Brews, where I'm your host, John Delray. Today, taking a look back and waxing poetic, certainly, about the Green Bay Packers' victory over the Chicago Bears that occurred just last night in Lambeau Field with the final score of 17-9, to the Green Bay Packers did get that victory and clinched their way into the playoffs as the number seven seed. Yeah, going to Dallas for that next matchup, a stadium that um, they've done pretty well in before, certainly, and, and going against an old ball coach that I think some people in Green Bay know him pretty well. So certainly an interesting matchup, a tough matchup in a number of regards. We're going to get to that later this week. But for right now, we're going to take a look back at what did already occur for Packers versus Bears. Just a few quick injury updates for you, just kind of bringing it back to the present uh, right now. One would be Romeo Dobbs. Yes, he left the game last night. Uh, Matt LaFleur revealed in his press conference today that Dobbs actually wound up going to the hospital after coughing up some blood, uh, but then was able to return to the locker room for the celebration, so he still got to take part, but he's day-to-day, and they're going to have to see. Also asked uh, about was Christian Watson, where Matt LaFleur said, again, he's day-to-day, we're going to have to see. That's going to be the answer on most injuries today, but specifically Watson and Dobbs both falling into that category for very, very different reasons. Other than that, it was a pretty clean injury game for the Packers, and they actually stand a chance to be getting increasingly healthy for a playoff run. You have to hope maybe A.J. Dillon can find his way back next week. Maybe Romeo Dobbs will be active, and maybe, just maybe, Christian Watson will come back. Matt LaFleur admitted that having Watson back would be a major boon for the offense, and I gotta say, against Dallas's secondary, having that speed out there, no matter how you feel about Christian Watson, Having his skill set on the field would be mighty helpful against Dallas specifically when they go man. So enough about looking ahead. Let's take a look back at the Green Bay Packers, one of the youngest teams ever to make the postseason. I put this tweet here from Adam Schefter. Packers reach the postseason based on average age weighted for playing time. The Packers are now the fifth youngest team since the 1970 merger to make the playoffs and the youngest since the 1977 Bears per Elias Sports. Head coach Matt LaFleur, staff, and players got it done. Yeah, they most certainly did. Adam, no doubt about it, no matter how, you know, no matter how Adam feels about the Packers, which I'm not sure is always that positive. Uh, but the Packers certainly did turn in that victory, one of the youngest ever, and we're going to be talking about that a little bit. But first, let's actually go here for the first shout-out. And Yeah, I mean, specifically, we're going to be talking about the quarterback, number 10, Jordan Love Jordan Love last night, 27 of 32 for 316 yards, a 9.9 average, two touchdowns, only taking on one sack, a 128.6 quarterback rating. And even in addition to that, a few additional supplemental stats for you on third down specifically, he was seven of eight, all seven of those throws resulting in first downs. He had seven play action completions for a grand total of 116 yards and a touchdown. But let's talk about that completion percentage because it has been a season-long concern for Jordan Love. He was 27 of 32. That results in the second highest completion percentage for any Green Bay Packer quarterback since 1984. 
Jordan Love has been getting it done, not just in this game against the Bears, but longer than that, too, including let's just take a look at his full season stats now. He ended the year 64% with terms of completions, 4,159 yards passing, 32 touchdowns to go along with 11 interceptions, nearly a three to one touchdown to pick ratio. And he ended the season with a cumulative quarterback rating of 96.1. Was it a perfect season for Jordan Love? No. It wasn't. We all know the ups and downs, and it wasn't even just him. It was the entirety of the offense. But in in truth, if he plays, like if you were to take the last month of the season and put that over the span of an entire season, like if you look at all these season numbers, they're already top 10 for several of them. You know, uh, touchdowns, he's number two in the NFL, etc. Most of these are already top 10. Take what he's done over the last month specifically, put it over the duration of a full season, and now you're looking at what is quite possibly a a top five quarterback? All after his first year starting? And I know, I know, I don't like to talk about his predecessor. In fact, I very, very infrequently even use his name anymore at this point because he's not on the team, so who cares? But I did get asked the question last night, How does his full season, now that it's complete, relate back to the first season for his predecessor? And I got to tell you, Aaron Rodgers in 2008, 63% completion percentage, 4,038 yards, 28 touchdowns compared to 13 interceptions, also taking on 34 sacks. I neglected to say that with Jordan. Jordan only took 30. So Jordan Jordan completely takes over every category from Aaron Rodgers, even having fewer turnovers, which I'm not sure anyone really saw that coming, or interceptions, I should say. What a season for Jordan Love. And it's not just, it's not just the full season statistics that's so impressive. It truly is his mentality of being unflappable. You know, because... We've heard it from Lafleur. We've heard it all throughout the year. Jordan Love is unflappable. We've heard it from defenders even. We just can't get to him in practice. We heard it all the time. But now, over an 18-week season of 17 games of all of these injuries, Aaron Jones going down repeatedly, Christian Watson, who was supposed to become the new superstar wide receiver, down repeatedly. Luke Musgrave, who finally gets a little something going in the offense, goes down with a lacerated kidney. We're trotting out in a must-win game right? Romeo Dobbs goes down in the first quarter. So now you're trotting out Bo Melton, Dontavian Wicks, Malik Heath, and Jaden Reed as your collective of wide receiver. Think about that. That's one guy who's been on the practice squad the vast majority of the year. Whether or not he should have been is a whole other conversation, but he was indeed on the practice squad for most of the year. Your fifth round rookie, your second round rookie, and then a UDFA who's made the roster. That's who you're throwing to. And the thing is, throughout the ups and downs of the year, yes, Jordan's play has gone up and down as well, but unflappable feels like just the beginning of the way to describe Jordan Love. Downright concrete in whether his mentals get affected by what's going on around him or not. It's incredibly impressive on a human level. So, 
And the thing is, too, just going back and watching the way that he played, you want any arm angle possible, he's throwing it right now. The decisions, the reads, everything, it's there. The guy we saw last night is, will be, a top five quarterback in the NFL, which means Green Bay has done it again. Let's give a special shout out to, to those guys that he was throwing to. I didn't mean that as a knock when I listed off. Yep, these are the youngins that he's throwing to. I mean, look, we entered the season with Romeo Dobbs and Christian Watson, supposedly the elder statesman of the wide receiver room. And then a whole bunch of rookies underneath them with Bo Melton also kind of old in there too. Samari Toure mixing in, but a whole bunch of second year guys were the old guys in that room. And if you go look at tight ends, you're not getting a lot of relief either there with Josiah DeGuara as the old man. And he's entering, what, year four? So everyone that he's throwing to is on a rookie contract. And let's just look at some of the numbers, right? Jaden Reed, another huge game for him. Four catches, 112 yards. Four catches, 112 yards, mind you, on only four targets. You know, I'm talking about an efficient game. Average 28 yards per catch and 100% target catch rate. That's pretty darn good. Bo Melton, five catches for 62 on seven targets. Dontavian Wicks, six for 61 and two touchdowns. On seven targets. It's incredible. You know, even Malik Heath, three catches on four targets, nine yards. No, not a big stat line. But earlier in the year, we talked so much about, you know, those late game interceptions that Jordan was throwing to the end zone. And Christian Watson, whether you want to pin the blame on him or not, was not in a position, didn't know, whatever the reason, didn't move his body to break up an interception. And we've talked before about uh, even Michael Irvin gave this big rant on TV about how veteran wide receivers, guys who have played the game long enough, have to recognize when a pass is coming to them that's not actually coming to them and actually going to the defense. They better start playing as a defender and make sure that that doesn't become an interception. Well, let's take a look at Malik Heath in the end zone yesterday. He did that. He made sure that his arm was going to stay in the way of the defender the entire time so that it couldn't become an interception. That's maturation before our very eyes. It's growth before our very eyes. It's incredible. It really, it's difficult to, to say enough. Another guy who it's difficult to say enough about would be running back Aaron Jones. 22 carries, 111 yards. It's a five-yard per carry average. And his long on the day was only 17 yards. So it's not like he ripped off some 70 yard run and then the rest was just there plodding along. No, long was 17 and he averaged five per carry. That's the first running back this year to surpass a hundred yards rushing against the number one run defense in the NFL in the Chicago Bears. And the thing about Aaron Jones' legacy is that it seems like off the field is as renowned as he is on the field. Makes it kind of easy to root for, no? Flipping over to the, oh, actually one more. One more on the offense. And let's actually talk about the offensive line because, you know, Elton Jenkins for one. 34 pass blocking snaps. Zero sacks allowed. Zero pressures allowed. Elton Jenkins had a heck of a performance, but the entire offensive line did too. 
Did you see how often Jordan Love was under pressure? It wasn't very much. And he only did take on that one sack where the pocket absolutely collapsed awfully quick. But Rasheed Walker is playing like a potential left tackle of the future. And I personally am still a little uncomfortable. Like if we go into next year really, really banking on Rasheed Walker being the long-term answer at left tackle, I am a little uncomfortable. Wouldn't mind a little reinforcement there. But ultimately, Rasheed Walker, Zach Tom, Elton Jenkins, the offensive line has radically improved this year as well. Now, flipping over to the defensive side of the ball, you know my feelings on him, but we do have to give credit where credit is due. And Joe Barry called a heck of a game last night. Even Preston Smith goes on to say, in this tweet from Matt Schneiderman, Joe B's been dialing it up. He gets a lot of hell in the media, but we've come together. We play for Joe B. So much of the noise out here isn't necessarily noise in the locker room. And I know a lot was made of, and yeah, maybe there was some fire there with Jair and Campbell and guys really seeming to be unhappy with the direction of the defense, just like we were when they were getting carved up by Tommy DeVito. But over the last two games, credit where it's due, because look, Against Minnesota, sure, you had the excuse of like, well, they're going against Jaron Hall. They're going against Nick Mullins. It's not really an accomplishment to beat up on them. It's what you should have been doing against Bryce Young, against Tommy DeVito. It's what should have been all along. But against Chicago, a team averaging 27 points per game over their last three, and I'm not trying to make their offense sound incredible. I've already talked about how their offense got those points. It wasn't, wasn't like they were the most explosive show on turf, but Nonetheless, that's a functioning offense down there in Chicago. And they completely smothered it. Justin Fields was under pressure on 62% of his dropbacks. 62%. It's insane. Preston Smith seemingly just has the answer for the Bears because he personally is now 12-0 and against the Bears in his career. And if you really want to dive in more about that pass rush, let's talk... Um, Five sacks, one by Walker, one by Brooks, one by LVN, one by Clark, one by Wyatt. Rashawn Gary is not even on that list for garnering a sack. They still got five. I think Rashawn Gary was in the neighborhood of every sack that occurred, still probably piling up pressures like he does. But five sacks. Fields was held to 11 of 16 for 148 yards passing. And I said in the pregame show, I don't care. I really don't. If Justin Fields runs for 100 yards, I'm fine with it as long as he passes for only 150. Well, he didn't even pass for 150, and running, he ran eight carries for 27 yards, a measly 3.4 average for the Bears quarterback. And let's talk, too, the Bears are one of the best running teams in football, especially over the last three weeks. Well, Packers controlled that, too. 12 carries for Khalil Herbert for 28 yards, five for Rashawn Johnson for 20. And their big, sparkly new wide receiver acquisition, DJ Moore, four catches, 64 yards. That's it. That's it. So are the Bears the best team in the world? No. Pretty undeniable, though, that the Packers took care of business. A couple more shout-outs before I flip over to the negative side. One, you know, I know this wasn't a perfect game. There were some questionable calls, right? Like, I'm a full believer in the fact that DJ Moore did not actually make that first down catch. There's a reason that TV didn't go back and do replay after replay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because mm -hmm. that decision came in from the refs that the call was going to stand, and then we never saw that play again. Shocking. 
right? So I'm not saying that this was a perfectly refereed game, but what I do really, really appreciate and what does deserve positive mention is the fact that for the most part, the refs did allow the players to just play. Yes, sometimes it hurt the Packers, sometimes it hurt the Bears. I think that's kind of what we want to watch, right? It's a better viewing product. It's certainly made the game go quicker. And I will say too, the Packers discipline deserves kind of an in conjunction shout out with this. Because remember earlier in the year when the Packers were dead last in penalties, like 7.3 called on them per game on average, dead last. And then over the last month, they've been crawling up those rankings just north of four called on them over the last three. And then last night, a nearly perfect game penalty-wise for the Green Bay Packers. That was really good stuff. One last shout-out. Head coach Matt LaFleur. Earlier in the year, I called for him to stop calling plays because I didn't think that what he was calling was at all in sync with his personnel, nor was it what the young team needed at the time. And I said, maybe it just needs to be like a three-week vacation or whatever, but it just wasn't working. Well, I don't think we can say that now. Then the Jair suspension. Campbell tweeting. He didn't lose the locker room. Go back, watch the post-game video in the locker room last night where he's handing out game balls to everybody. The team is bought in. Completely. You know, there are there are three things that the Green Bay Packers that directly relate to on-field. When they hire them, they hire them long-term. One is head coach, two is quarterback, and three is kicker. When the Green Bay Packers employ you in one of those spots, you really got to mess up and not have the job for a long time. He guided this team to the playoffs with zero Pro Bowlers. He at least deserves some accolades. Maybe a couple votes for Coach of the Year, too. Heck of a job for Matt LaFleur. Let's flip it over to the negative, right? Because I know I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, okay? Like, because ultimately, yeah, we want to live in the happiness that is the win today. But there were four little things that I'm going to cover real brief that do deserve at least some chiming. And one, buddy, buddy, you were one of mine, Anders. Anders Carlson. On the year, looking over the whole season stats, Anders Carlson, oh God, 28th in extra point percentage in the NFL. And this is, mind you, this is guys that I just kind of parsed out as full-time kickers, like in this statistical ranking here, they had to have at least 21 field goal attempts on the year. Oh, buddy. 28th in extra point percentage, 23rd in field goal percentage. He missed 50% of his kicks between 40 and 49. 60% he, he made, but over 50, which that's not bad. And then in front of 40 yards, he was actually perfect kicking the ball, except for extra points. What? Because I thought originally maybe like he's kicking better from deep. Nope, that doesn't uh, bear out with only hitting 50% from 40. I know it's just a consistency thing. He still has the big leg. Uh, he's still going to be the kicker. Uh, he's still going to last through next year. I've seen the conversations about should the Packers bring in a veteran kicker for at least the playoff run. You know, have Anders do the deep stuff and then have a vet kicker handle extra points or like something like that. Because, you you know, 
playoffs, you can be a little bit more flexible with your roster. Anders, I don't know. It's got to get figured out. It does look like a consistency problem. It looks like a technique problem. So let's figure it out. Number two, the play call to end the half. I don't, I don't get it. The clock just ran out to end the half. I do understand. We talked about it in the watch party. Uh, some people kind of give me the official clarification of he was not moving his body forward. So then ultimately forward progress and the clock is allowed to continue running. Okay, that's fair. I get that. What I don't understand is the play call is the clock is ticking down to run a back shoulder throw. Like, what are you hoping to achieve with one, that play, but two, that throwing decision? I don't, like, if you're just trying to get two more yards to kick the field goal, just kick the field goal. If you're trying to stop the clock to get the field goal unit on there, then just do a spike. I don't, I don't understand what there was to be had by running specifically that play in that situation. So and then another one that I want to bring up, I found this tweet incredibly interesting. This is from Peter Bukowski and Badger Noonan. Sunday was the first time since the merger. A team had no punts and one or fewer turnovers, but scored 17 or fewer points for Badger Noonan's research. You know, it's uh, It was an odd game, right? Like we noted several times on the watch party about how the game was just flying by. And the Packers were in complete control offensively. Like no doubt about it. They were doing, for the most part, whatever they wanted to do on offense. And yet they only got 17. I'm still a little baffled by it, to be honest. I know they didn't have that many possessions. I know the Bears had the ball. It's just, it's odd. It's statistically odd, so I thought it needed to be brought up. And then the last one, it is unfortunate. I know it's a very small deal in the grand scheme of things, but it is very unfortunate that Tucker Craft nor Luke Musgrave were able to set the Packers franchise rookie tight end receiving records. We came into the game, Tucker Craft needed 40 yards receiving to break Bubba Franks' old record. Luke Musgrave only needed 23. In addition, Luke Musgrave only needed two catches to to break the reception rookie tight end record. Unfortunately, both fell short. Kraft about 10 yards shy, breaking the yardage record. Musgrave only ended the game with one catch for 11. He needed two for 23. Very, very minor footnote in a game that clinched a playoff spot, but still, still disappointing that we didn't get to see those two rookies actually set the record in the same year that Jaden Reed set new rookie receiving records. You know what, though? If those are the four biggest gripes we've got following playing the Bears, I think we're doing okay. And now your Green Bay Packers are heading to the postseason. The team that was supposed to be a learning year, a transition year, rebuilding, if you wanted to use that word even. The team that was supposed to just have one objective this year, find out what you got in your quarterback. The rest. Playing with house money. Well, they played all right, and they bet big. And they won. The team that was supposed to just be setting itself up for the future turned out to be pretty good now. And the next step, I fully admit, they're just playing with house money at this point. Now they're going to get some playoff experience, whether it's one game, three games, whatever. They're getting some playoff experience now. They're heading down to Dallas to do it. But the baby Packers are growing up. 
And I know Dallas is going to be a lot of fun for that. Thanks so much for tuning in. I'll be back on Wednesday for our live Q&A. And then on Friday, you can look forward to the game preview of Packers versus Cowboys. Thanks so much for watching Lombardi Time Brews. I do hope you enjoyed the victory last night. Hope you're having a great week. And as always, go Pack Go. What's up, everybody? Happy Wednesday to you as the Green Bay Packers prepare to take on the Dallas Cowboys in the wild card round. So it is time for our midweek chatter live Q&A to hop on here and see what everyone is thinking in regards to the Green Bay Packers. But as always, to give people a few minutes to get in here, we're going to cover the injury report first. Now, as I get to this, one thing to keep in mind is, as it says right there on the bottom, it was... A very short practice today, scheduled to be about 55 minutes in duration, and it was a softer, lighter practice, more of the jog-through variety, quite possibly more install-type things as opposed to full-on hardcore practice. So a lot of these uh, assessments of injuries are estimations from the team, but you can see it's quite lengthy, but overall still promising because there's only one player on the 53 who did not participate at all today, which... That is a refreshing change for the Green Bay Packers. So you've got Jair Alexander. He was limited. Devondre Full. A.J. Dillon was the one member on the 53 not practicing in any capacity. He did take part in stretching and stuff like that when the media was present, but didn't actually go through with the practice portion. Romeo Dobbs, limited. Elton Jenkins, limited. Aaron Jones, limited. Isaiah McDuffie, limited. Luke Musgrave, back all the way to being full. Josh Myers, full. Jonathan Owens, limited. Jaden Reed, full. Sean Ryan, full. Darnell Savage, full. Couple more limiteds with Preston Smith and TJ Slayton. Couple more fulls with Zach Tom and Quay Walker. Limited Christian Watson and then full Emmanuel Wilson. So, all in all, this is pretty close to the healthiest the team has been all year, if not the healthiest. Like, yes, they are banged up. There's no denying that, really. But who isn't at this portion in the schedule? But realistically, to only have AJ Dillon not practicing everyone else the other 52 members all practicing that's a refreshing change for the green bay packers so scott i see you're here hello scott nice to see you here so uh other highlights from matt lafleur's press conference today he did spend a good amount of time talking about dallas's leadership uh you know how mike mccarthy is a strong leader as a head coach, Dan Quinn, everyone else on that staff. And that's really what Lafleur was kind of honing in on through a lot of his press conference. And that he talked about how Dallas's secondary is very aggressive. A lot of playmakers in the secondary with a lot of ball skills, but at the same time, not being over aggressive to where the ball just floats over their head. So Lafleur very, very complimentary of the Dallas Cowboys in this press conference kind of adds you'd expect, but even a little bit more flowers than normal going to uh, coming up 
this weekend. So Lake Appleside doing, man. Good to see you here. According to the Power Sweep and John Meerdink, this is a record year for Green Bay and explosive plays, runs of 12 plus, and especially passing passes of 15, 16 plus. MLF thinks 15 plus is explosive. Most things 16 plus is. Yeah, I've noticed that. That um, and it's it's weird too, right? Because it's all in how you define these things, as you kind of point out. Yes, using the standard statistics there, this is a record year for Green Bay. But it doesn't necessarily feel that way because we haven't had nearly as many like 55-yard bombs down the field. We haven't had Jordy Nelson running a deep post and then Rodgers dropping it in the bucket. Like What we think of as the stereotypical explosive play, that hasn't been there as much for Green Bay's offense this year, which is why that feels a little wonky. But yeah, by defining it by 12 plus and 15 plus, they are, they are experts at getting the chunk plays, we can say at the very least. Big B, how you doing, Big B? Good to see you. Brandy's here as well. Everybody say hi to each other. That's very nice. Scott, uh, Scott, do we have enough cap room to get a running back to go with Jones? And who is it looking like is available? Well, yes and no. I mean... Running backs on the whole are generally cheaper in free agency, right? Unless you're really going with like a marquee back, like Saquon Barkley or things like that. In terms of the Packers financial situation, as it stands right now, it's not great. 2025 is really the year that the cap begins to open up. Up until then, things are still pretty tight. Now, they have a lot more maneuverability this year than they have in past years as a means to open up room, like moving on from uh, David Bakhtiari or God bless it, even an Aaron Jones. Like they do have options that are larger than in past years to create room. But if we don't think that they're going to exercise them, they're still very, very tight up against the cap, if not over, depending on what kind of uh, evaluation you follow. So ultimately, not really. Could they still afford some kind of like four, five million dollar running back contract? Yeah, I'm sure by the end of that, by the end of the carnage that is releasing and restructuring and all that stuff. Yeah, then they probably could. But that's realistically the ballpark you're looking at if they even opt to go the free agent route for running backs. Jacob, how you doing, man? Jacob Clay saying, I know we're excited about being in the playoffs. Mm -hmm. I know our young Packer team must have butterflies and jitters. I hope we can settle down early and play with our heads on right and kick some ass. Yeah. I think Jordan Love is kind of like the perfect leader for this situation, right? Like the unflappable man that he is. Plus you've got Aaron Jones. It just feels like the leadership structure of Green Bay now isn't necessarily focused on Zen, but other than that, just kind of being calm and determined. And that I think will help alleviate some of the butterflies, some of the jitters. Yes, the Packers are a very young team, but by a lot of accounts, they're pretty mature young team yeah there's a few characters sure but like this team by all accounts has got its head right on its shoulders for the matchup coming in uh what i'm a little worried about honestly is not so much butterflies and jitters but just the idea of being in your first playoff game they're riding high coming off a couple of big wins can they sustain that level of drive or are they going to underestimate a playoff opponent i guess i'm a little bit more worried about that so much as uh, as opposed to nervous jitters, I guess I would say. Lake Hebel's uh, record in terms of the best of MLF as head coach. So yeah, more even than the MVP seasons of 2020 and 24. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you're saying the, the explosive plays are the record 
for Matt LaFleur as head coach of the Packers. Yeah. Uh, William Ryan, do you think Musgrave will be more involved for this game? Yeah, I think just kind of naturally. Like, it was his first game back following a month. Now we saw today his estimation on the practice report would be a full participant as opposed to limited like he had been. Um, I think by all accounts, this is the week where we'll see presented more of the full game plan utilizing Kraft and Musgrave. I know he only had one catch for 11 yards in this last week. So, uh, yeah, William, I see your follow-up question here. Will we run 12 personnel sets against Dallas? Yeah, I think that this makes more sense to bring it up as opposed to Chicago, especially given that there's a whole other week of Musgrave actually being active and involved in the practice process as opposed to just trying to get him healthy enough to play. So, yeah, I think we, I think we will. Brandy, how you doing, Brandy? You think the Packers can use five down linemen and still cover what they need to in the secondary? Ooh. It's going to be a tall order. I mean, right, the main concern with Dallas is obviously number one, CeeDee Lamb. Number two, Brandy Cooks. Like, they certainly have the weaponry. I don't – I say it this way. I don't know as if they have a choice. My viewing of this game is if they go with like the Carolina approach or, you know, where they, where they drop everyone really far back, Dak Prescott will just pick them apart. So ultimately, can they still cover even if they're blitzing, even if they're using five down? It's going to be completely contingent on if they can actually get to Dak or not. So I think they're going to have to try at the very least. If they just drop three and drop it or uh, rush three, drop everyone into coverage, I think they're going to get cooked. I think they got to try to get after Dak. What you're asking is quite possibly the key to the game. Is coverage going to be able to keep up if they need to dedicate extra rushers? Can they? Sure. But yeah, it's it's a really tall task, no doubt about it. Ayahuasca data scientist, I do, man. Uh, hot take, Jordan's cap hit next year will exceed Aaron's cap hit this year. Woo! So you think uh, Jay Love's going to have a cap number of over 40 next year? I can't see that. I, I think, again, 2025, let's say Jordan Love signs that extension in May. They may throw a little bit of money in 2024, but that number will see kind of explode as the contract goes on. So maybe 2025, but uh, I, I think next year they're going to try to keep J-Love's number very, very close to, to what it is. Blake Hebbles, I don't get misty-eyed over sports often, but that image of MLF choking up patting Jordan on the chest after Sunday's win got to me. So many doubters silenced. Yeah, that was one hell of a picture, right? I wish I still had it saved in my, uh, could pull it up here, but I don't. But I mean, what a cool picture. And it's it's been neat to see the evolution of the photography of those two together. Cause like you've got the training camp pictures where they're determined and talking. Right. And it's a lot of, <laughs> I don't want to say stern, but a lot of staring at each other. Right. And then you've got at the midpoint, there was that one really cool picture that was Jordan and the floor uh, crouching next to each other in a locker going over what looked like a tablet or a playbook, kind of the essence of teacher and student there. And then now, You've got like the mission accomplished picture, the absolute pride from Lafleur, the look of Jordan of just like being happy at the mission isn't done. It was, it was, uh, yeah, you hit it spot on. They've got some really cool pictures together. Ayahuasca data scientist thoughts on Vrabel as defensive coordinator. I, it, I'll say this, it's not going to happen. 
Um, I would love it. Sure. I mean, I know his defense in Tennessee wasn't exactly stellar this year, but still it's more of a culture hire really. But there's two things in the way. One, I think Mike Vrabel is just going to walk into another head coaching job. Similar, like around mid-year, there were a lot of calls for maybe Tomlin's going to get fired, right? Well, and then a few Packer people were pining after, well, if we could get Tomlin. But if Tomlin were to get fired, he'd walk right into another head coaching job. And I think Vrabel's probably in that same class. Like, he's just going to go get another head coaching job. He's not going to be a DC anywhere. Even if he does settle back into being a DC, I'm not sure Lafleur and Vrabel necessarily ever loved each other in the one year that they worked together at Tennessee. I'm not sure that Lafleur, not that, not that it's an insecurity thing or whatever, but Vrabel's a very, very large and authoritative like leader. I'm just not sure that that would totally jive in Green Bay's culture at the moment. So, yeah, I just I've I have a hard time seeing that one occur on a lot of different levels. Like how those lamb had a career game last year against us. We got to run the ball like that again, forcing Parsons to be a more traditional linebacker, which really hurt them. Yeah. And if you go peruse Dallas Cowboy rooms, pods, whatever, there is a large criticism of Micah Parsons. Like if you're going to find one thing to criticize, it's the fact that he seems to be so focused on the quarterback that he occasionally forgets other responsibilities. And so, yes, I agree. If you can put him into more of that traditional linebacker role, then, you know, he can't just fire off the ball at the line of scrimmage. And Dallas can be run on. Keep in mind, too, I'm going to pull out the exact uh, numbers in the graphic in the game preview on Friday, but Dan Quinn, as defensive coordinator of Dallas, has really struggled against Shanahan-esque offenses this year, in part because of those offenses' ability to run the ball. So I, I think you hit it spot on, like Evels. That's one of the keys to the offense. Randy, what unscouted looks are left in the Fleur's bag? Stay tuned. It's a mighty good question, right? Did they empty the playbook just trying to make the playoffs? I think what may actually come about is we may see some looks that we haven't seen because the entire group of personnel may actually be there, which is something we really haven't seen this year, right? I mean, what does the passing offense completely look like when you have Christian Watson, Wicks, Dobbs, and Reed, and Melton and Heath? Like, what, is, what does that even look like from a schematic standpoint? And that says nothing to speak of the 12 personnel that now could be rolled out that they probably were very apprehensive to do earlier in the year with Kraft and Musgrave when Kraft was very much learning how to participate in the NFL. You know, LaFleur even talked in his press conference today about Kraft specifically in the growth. They knew he was capable of becoming a well-rounded tight end, but they didn't necessarily see that it was going to be so quick during Musgrave's absence. And LaFleur gave full credit to that to Kraft. So I think while maybe from a pure like schematic standpoint, maybe the plays. I don't want to say exhausted, but getting close to the bottom of the bag, but how he can use those plays with different personnel groupings, that we may just be the tip of the iceberg. Uh, like Ebbles, you know, Brandy, I noticed a lot of the wacky trick plays disappeared around the Chiefs game. Wonder if they are saving those looks with these rising stars for the playoffs. Uh, potentially. I think it also might just be that a lot of those trick plays, because keep in mind the Chiefs was the Chiefs game is when they were kind of coming out of their stagnation. 
yeah, against Detroit, they did very well, but same thing against the Chargers. But the Chiefs was the, we've fully evolved now as an offense. So I think maybe Lafleur just kind of tapered him back because he felt like he didn't need to have some kind of spark now. But yeah, we haven't seen uh, we haven't seen a flea flicker, and thankfully we've seen a great reduction in jet sweeps over the last three weeks as well. Brandy, do you see the Packers beating man coverage consistently on Sunday, and how? Um, I think they're certainly capable. Now, Christian Watson being back would help in that regard a lot, even if it's 15 snaps, 20 snaps, what have you. Having his speed and size would be instrumental in breaking down Dallas's man coverage. But ultimately, you do have receivers on the Packers who are able to get open. Jaden Reed is one, and he does it through kind of a combination of different factors, just using physicality and route running. Speaking of route running, you have Dontavian Wicks, who even in the game against Chicago, there was one clip where I saw being shared where his uh, release from the line was very, very reminiscent of Devontae Adams. So they are capable of beating man coverage, certainly. And frankly, I'm not tremendously worried about this version of Stefan Gilmore that is playing for Dallas. We don't even know if he's going to play because it's going to be uh, Saturday is the first practice that Gilmore may participate in, according to McCarthy. It's sounding like he's going to play, but still, that would make me a titch nervous. So, uh, yeah, it's they can, for sure. McKnight saying which three offensive linemen will have the best blocking in the game. All right. Well, they got to go Elton Jenkins by default, right? Zach Tom is unstoppable at this point. And then I'm going to take the easy answer too. Let's go with Rasheed Walker. I think Zach Tom and Rasheed Walker are in for very good games if they can get Parsons to back off, like we were mentioned earlier about making him tra play traditional linebackers. So let's go. Let's go with those three as of right now. Iwaska is Big Mike fired if we beat him on Sunday. Um, if it's a, I'm going to go with, if it's a close game, no. If Green Bay somehow rolls in there and wins by 30, then yeah, then I could see it for sure. But if it's a close game, I just, I don't know if I can, uh, I don't know. I don't know if I can get that, that yet. Uh, here we go. William Ryan, how about Reed and Jones, the backfield with Musgrave in the slot? I'm down. <laughs> I'm down for it to make that easy. Uh, and then sprinkle in, if he's playing, sprinkle in Christian Watson on the outside, right? Like, And that's the cool thing about the Packers weaponry. Like, I've been talking about this for weeks, right? That everyone is so diverse. You can fall in love with a different playmaker on the Packers for a different reason. If you want route running, you got wicks. If you want speed, you got, like, you could find a different trait to love, right? And now, if you put out some kind of formation like that, it's like, how is a defense going to cover that exactly? It's, that's the beauty of their offense right now. And that's a little bit of what we can yet expect to see that we haven't been able to see to this point, for sure. Uh, Ayahuasca did <laughs> Devontae on Wicks. Yeah, I mean, it is really cool. Like, there are certainly shades of Adams in Wicks's game. It's, it's awesome. Uh, William Ryan, how do you feel about Zimmer as DC? Okay. Um, mostly good. Let's say that I, I don't hate the idea of the Packers switching to a four, three base. Granted, nickel would still be like the true base, but just philosophically speaking, more of a four, three. Uh, and that's obviously Zimmer's wheelhouse, right? Beyond that, Zimmer, 
I don't I know the last two years in Minnesota, there was a lot of stuff about like, you know, the the league has figured out Zimmer's defense and he wasn't getting along with the locker room well anymore. But I kind of look at him like Vic Fangio in the regard of there have been a lot of imitators of the style of defense, but still the one that does it best is the one who created it. And then so that's Zimmer, that's Fangio. If Lafleur decides as though he wants that kind of personality, if Lafleur and Zimmer don't absolutely want to assault each other, because I don't think they like each other very much, then, I mean, I could see it. One thing I do want the defensive coordinator to have, if they move on from Joe Barry, is I want the defensive coordinator to have the wherewithal to have a voice strong enough in the front office, okay? Because over the last few years, we haven't seen that many players picked that are Joe Barry picks, right? But yet on the special team side of things, we've seen that a hundred times with Passaccia. You know, we we do a free agent signing or off of the waiver wire. Well, that's a Passaccia guy. How many times have we done that about drafting someone and then going, well, that's a Joe Barry guy. It's not all that often. It's the personnel and the scheme haven't really matched up much over the whole of the course of three years. So I think whoever it is, it's going to have to be someone that uh, someone that actually has some wherewithal to have a voice in the front office. Big B, you made me fill up a whole page of notes on my phone. Thank you. <laughs> of course. Thanks. Thanks for being here. Uh, Kempton Boy, I really hope the entire receiving core is playing to keep the Cowboys defense on their heels. As much as Dallas has struggled to stop the run, they also struggle against play action. Yeah, and I don't have the exact numbers pull up, um, but that's true. And that's part of the overall struggle against the Shanahan-esque offense for the Dallas Cowboys. It has been a struggle for them this year. That plays very well into Green Bay's hand. And I'm not sitting here saying, oh, for sure they're going to put up 40. Like, no. But what Dallas seemingly is weak at does happen to be a lot of Green Bay's strengths. You know, in the last game alone, Love put up something like it was like 160 of his yards were from play action plays which has become an increasing amount in the offense this year as everyone's gotten more settled. Because I'd mentioned this on the watch party, the terms of play action being called in Green Bay has kind of gone like this throughout the year. Over the last few weeks, it's certainly on an upswing. And the offense being more successful with that in conjunction, I don't think that's a coinkydink. So ultimately, um, Dallas's weakness do seem to play into Green Bay's strengths well for that side of the ball. That's something to look forward to, I would think. Like Hebbles, MLF has had his best games when he is expected to lose big. Cardinals, regular season 49ers, yep, 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 multiple years, of course, this year. That's true. And in 2019, Dallas, the entire offense was Jones because Adams is out for a while. Yeah, also true. Um, but ultimately, I mean, that's, it's a weird thing. Yeah, right. And then there's other games where it's expected to, be an easier game for Green Bay, and then they just like forget to wake up in the morning. So that's a bit of a thing. And uh yeah, again, can't can't hurt. Brandy Barry's use of a of a blitz from the linebacker position has worked decently the couple times it was ran. Do you see Barry being as passive with this as he always has been? Um, I guess that question is kind of two-sided. I I personally would absolutely not be. And like you mentioned, that blitz from the linebacker position, that is a perfect utilization of Quay Walker and his skill set. 
been saying that for weeks that that is how you have to use Quay Walker collegiately. That's when he was at his best too, was doing those types of blitzes. I am terrified that Green Bay is going to walk into this game and say, well, Dallas's passing attack is so potent. We cannot give up the big play. Back them up. Back them up. Safeties get 30 yards back. I am terrified of that mentality coming from Green Bay and Joe Barry. The the saving grace here is over the last two weeks, we have seen some pretty radical departures from Joe Barry's core principles. There's been a lot of change there. I would hope that that's going to carry through the Dallas but logically, I just feel this pull towards they're taking one look at Dak hitting CD and Brandon Cooks running deep posts, and and they're just going to back them up. And I am terrified of that, Brandy. So logically, I think they're going to be backed up. But I so hope with everything that I'm wrong. And then, uh, oh, hey, Peter. Nice to see you. Bonjour. Thanks a lot for answering on Instagram. Of course, of course. Any chance to see Watson, Dobbs, and Dylan play on Sunday? Uh, Dobbs, I think, has got a pretty good shot. Uh, he was listed as limited today. We know that he was, like, he coughed up blood during the game against the Bears, went to the hospital, but made it back in time for the post-game celebration. Uh, I think he's got a pretty good shot to play, just kind of feeling out what that injury may be. Seems more impact-related as opposed to, Something being like wrong, wrong, I guess you could say. Watson, who freaking knows, Peter? I mean, because Matt LaFleur admitted after the Bears game that there was some gamesmanship last week on the part of LaFleur and the Packers, that maybe in the press they were building Watson up to be a little bit more likely to play than was the true actual thing going on behind the scenes. So who freaking knows? But I got to believe. I mean, even after the Bears game, Lafleur again said that we would see how Watson goes throughout the week, and they were hopeful. I don't know. I um, I don't want to get my hopes up and then be hurt again. As for Dylan, that's a really good question. I mean, he's, I would think by now, generally speaking anyway, with stingers, they aren't a multi-week injury. So without having any details at all, you would think that that would be coming to the end of the road there. But that thumb, if he truly like re-aggravated that thumb, or now there might be some tendon problems with the bone, or like just pure speculation on my part here, keep in mind, then yeah, there's going to be some real difficulty in him getting back there. Um, so we'll just, we'll have to see. And I'm hoping that as the week progresses, we actually get some more details from Flafleur. Of course, as the team actually practices more in earnest, as opposed to doing a, a jog through, we will get, more concrete indications from the injury report today is just kind of a lot of guesswork since the Packers themselves were basically guessing. Ah, Danny plan for Parsons, three people blocking again. I wouldn't be shocked by that at all. And that could be part of the strength of enrolling a lot of 12 personnel in this game, especially putting craft on whatever side Parsons goes to. I think that that's, a logical plan, and then you're just hoping that if it's man coverage, read, etc., can just beat their men. If it's zone, then you're really relying on the floor to scheme up some stuff again. So, but I think that that probably does have to be the main consideration or the main go-to plan for the Packers. I, I really do think so. David, hi John. Hello, David. Nice to see you here. Rocket knees. 
Watson exploded on the national scene against the Cowboys. Imagine he puts up two or three to 150 plus yards. He'll be our new Cowboys killer. Cowboy fans are nervous, as they should be, going against the baby Packers. And, I mean, another player that's historically done very, very well against Dallas has been Aaron Jones. And he looks phenomenal over the last three weeks. I mean, crossing the century mark every single week for three. Yeah. I mean, he's looking great. So, I don't know. It's just... I don't want to make this matchup sound easy. It's certainly not it. It is a very, very difficult matchup. But I would be remiss if I didn't say that there are some things that really do lead in Green Bay's way. And that's something to be very, very hopeful for. Mick, will Jonathan Ford be called up for this game? <laughs> he hasn't used up all of his activations yet. Mick, your commitment to the bit is admirable. And I highly highly doubt it Mick I'm I'm very sorry <laughs> I, I don't see I don't see Jonathan Ford being active for this one in order to clamp down Tony Pollard if anything I think we'll see a larger emphasis on secondary or again filling in injuries with the actual active list on game day all right everybody looks like I caught up on all the questions so it is time for me to get on out of here hope you all have a great rest of your Wednesday oh here we got one more Brandy sneaking in uh shotgun runs yes or no um, in theory, I don't mind them. Green Bay doesn't have the most success in the world running out of shotgun. I think specifically against Dallas, it could help if Micah Parsons is showing tendency to overcommit to getting love. If, and this is, I guess I would just say that this is a feel-out situation, right? Because if you're starting off the game and it looks like Parsons isn't even driving that hard to get after love, then no, I don't really want to do shotgun runs. Not against Lawrence, not against their front. No, I'd rather just line up and run, like true runs. Um, but if it looks like Lawrence, Parsons, those guys are overcommitting, kind of like we see Rashawn Gary do sometimes, then I think it could be quite useful to garner some chunk plays up the middle that I, that I could see going for sure. And then one last one, Peter, how many points do you think our Packers must score to get a fair chance to beat the Dallas Cowboys? Um, Dallas, you can, it's a pretty sure bet. They're going to put up at least in the high twenties, right? Um, let's go with green Bay's got to put up 33 again. Let's go with that. It seems to be a number that they like to hone in on. So let's just give them 33 and let's say that that's kind of the, the threshold might they score under that and still win yeah like it's possible but if this is the shootout a lot of people think it can be then let's go with 33 oh man people just keep on sneaking in here all right mick uh mick saying like button find it i'm great thank you uh and then dan really honestly the last one dan it seems to me draft and develop works well when the young guys get playing time early um yes and no i think because the quarterback is a great example of someone that that might not have gone well for Right, because if Jordan Love would have played as a rookie, that could have been ugly. There were a lot of rough tendencies of his coming out of college. So I think it depends a little bit on the position. Um, so I mean, like quarterback, I think is its own category. Kraft's ascension has not been orthodox. Let's say that um, because tight end is generally one of the most difficult positions to learn on the field. They're responsible for so much blocking patterns and route running, and like they got a lot going on. And the way that he has ascended during Musgrave's injury has is not normal, let's say that. So if we're talking on the whole, I mean, yeah, for wide receivers, running backs, some positions on the defense, I can totally get with that. 
but there are some positions that I would caution against using that as a hard and fast rule for sure. All right, everybody. Thank you. Thanks for stopping in. Do hope you enjoyed this Q&A. I'll be back on Friday with the game preview for Packers versus Cowboys. Bigby, you can go a whole nother page of notes from that one, but going to be talking about all the details, all numbers for Packers versus Cowboys in order to get ready. And then on Sunday, there will be a watch party for the wild card matchup. Thanks so much, everybody, for being here. Do hope you are having a great day. And as always, ooh, let me find it. Go Pack Go. What's up, everybody? Happy Wednesday to you as the Green Bay Packers prepare to take on the Dallas Cowboys in the wild card round. So it is time for our midweek chatter live Q&A to hop on here and see what everyone is thinking in regards to the Green Bay Packers. But as always, to give people a few minutes to get in here, we're going to cover the injury report first. Now, as I get to this, one thing to keep in mind is, as it says right there on the bottom, it was... A very short practice today scheduled to be about 55 minutes in duration and it was a softer lighter practice more of the jog through variety quite possibly more install type things as opposed to full-on hardcore practice so a lot of these uh, assessments of injuries are estimations from the team but you can see it's quite lengthy but overall still promising because there's only one player on the 53 who did not participate at all today which that is a refreshing change for the Green Bay Packers. So you've got Jair Alexander. He was limited. Devondre Full. A.J. Dillon was the one member on the 53 not practicing in any capacity. He did take part in stretching and stuff like that when the media was present, but didn't actually go through with the practice portion. Romeo Dobbs, limited. Elton Jenkins, limited. Aaron Jones, limited. Isaiah McDuffie, limited. Luke Musgrave, back all the way to being full. Josh Myers, full. Jonathan Owens, limited. Jaden Reed, full. Sean Ryan, full. Darnell Savage, full. Couple more limiteds with Preston Smith and TJ Slayton. Couple more fulls with Zach Tom and Quay Walker. Limited Christian Watson and then full Emmanuel Wilson. So, all in all, this is pretty close to the healthiest the team has been all year, if not the healthiest. Like, yes, they are banged up. There's no denying that, really. But who isn't at this portion in the schedule? But realistically, to only have AJ Dillon not practicing everyone else the other 52 members all practicing that's a refreshing change for the green bay packers so scott i see you're here hello scott nice to see you here so uh other highlights from matt lafleur's press conference today he did spend a good amount of time talking about dallas's leadership uh you know how mike mccarthy is a strong leader as a head coach, Dan Quinn, everyone else on that staff. And that's really what Lafleur was kind of honing in on through a lot of his press conference. 
Other than that, he talked about how Dallas's secondary is very aggressive. A lot of playmakers in the secondary with a lot of ball skills, but at the same time not being over-aggressive to where the ball just floats over their head. So Lafleur very, very complimentary of the Dallas Cowboys in this press conference. Kind of adds you'd expect, but even a little bit more flowers than normal going to uh, coming up this weekend. So Lake Evans, how you doing, man? Good to see you here. According to the Power Sweep and John Meerdink, this is a record year for Green Bay in explosive plays, runs of 12 plus, and especially passing passes of 15, 16 plus. MLF thinks 15 plus is explosive. Most things 16 plus is. Yeah, I've noticed that. That um, And it's, it's weird too, right? Because it's all in how you define these things, as you kind of point out. Yes, using the standard statistics there, this is a record year for Green Bay. But it doesn't necessarily feel that way because we haven't had nearly as many like 55-yard bombs down the field. We haven't had Jordy Nelson running a deep post and then Rodgers dropping it in the bucket. Like what we think of as the stereotypical explosive play, that hasn't been there as much for Green Bay's offense this year, which is why that feels a little wonky. But yeah, by defining it by 12 plus and 15 plus. They are, they are experts at getting the chunk plays, we can say at the very least. Big B, how you doing, Big B? Good to see you. Brandy's here as well. <laughs> say hi to each other. That's very nice. Scott, uh, Scott, do we have enough cap room to get a running back to go with Jones? And who is it looking like is available? Well, yes and no. I mean, running backs on the whole are generally cheaper in free agency, right? Unless you're really going with like a marquee back like Saquon Barkley or things like that. In terms of the Packers' financial situation, as it stands right now, it's not great. 2025 is really the year that the cap begins to open up. Up until then, things are still pretty tight. Now, they have a lot more maneuverability this year than they have in past years as a means to open up room, like moving on from uh, David Bakhtiari or, God bless it, even an Aaron Jones. Like, they do have options that are larger than in past years to create room. But if we don't think that they're going to exercise them, they're still very, very tight up against the cap, if not over, depending on what kind of uh, evaluation you follow. So ultimately, not really. Could they still afford some kind of like four, $5 million running back contract? Yeah, I'm sure by the end of that, by the end of the carnage that is releasing and restructuring and all that stuff, yeah, then they probably could. But that's realistically the ballpark you're looking at if they even opt to go the free agent route for running backs. Jacob, how you doing, man? Jacob Clay saying, I know we're excited about being in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. I know our young Packer team must have butterflies and jitters. I hope we can settle down early and play with our heads on right and kick some ass. Yeah, I think Jordan Love is kind of like the perfect leader for this situation, right? Like the unflappable man that he is plus you've got Aaron Jones it just feels like the leadership structure of Green Bay now isn't necessarily focused on Zen but other than that just kind of being calm and determined and that I think will help alleviate some of the butterflies some of the jitters yes the Packers are a very young team but by a lot of accounts they're a pretty mature young team yeah there's a few characters sure but like this team by all accounts is Got its head right on its shoulders for the matchup coming in. Uh, what I'm a little worried about, honestly, is not so much butterflies and jitters, but just the idea of being in your first playoff game. They're riding high, coming off a couple of big wins. Can they sustain that level of drive? 
or are they going to underestimate a playoff opponent? I guess I'm a little bit more worried about that so much as uh, as opposed to nervous jitters, I guess I would say. Lake Hebel's uh, record in terms of the best of MLF as head coach. So, yeah, more even than the MVP seasons of 2020 and 2020. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you're saying the the explosive plays are the record for Matt LaFleur as head coach of the Packers. Yeah. Uh, William Ryan, do you think Musgrave will be more involved for this game? Yeah, I think just kind of naturally. Like, it was his first game back following a month. Now we saw today his estimation on the practice report would be a full participant as opposed to limited like he had been. Um, I think by all accounts, this is the week where we'll see presented more of the full game plan utilizing Kraft and Musgrave. I know he only had one catch for 11 yards in this last week. So, uh, yeah, William, I see your follow-up question here. Will we run 12 personnel sets against Dallas? Yeah, I think that this makes more sense to bring it up as opposed to Chicago, especially given that there's a whole nother week of Musgrave actually being active and involved in the practice process as opposed to just trying to get him healthy enough to play. So yeah, I think we, I think we will. Brandy, how you doing, Brandy? You think the Packers can use five down linemen and still cover what they need to in the secondary? Ooh. It's going to be a tall order. I mean, right, the main concern with Dallas is Obviously, number one, C.D. Lamb. Number two, Brandy Cooks. Like, they certainly have the weaponry. I don't, I say it this way. I don't know as if they have a choice. My viewing of this game is if they go with, like, the Carolina approach or, you know, where they where they drop everyone really far back, Dak Prescott will just pick them apart. So, ultimately, can they still cover even if they're blitzing, even if they're using five down? It's going to be completely contingent on if they can actually get to Dak or not. So I think they're going to have to try at the very least. If they just drop three and drop it or a rush three, drop everyone into coverage, I think they're going to get cooked. I think they got to try to get after Dak. What you're asking is quite possibly the key to the game. Is coverage going to be able to keep up? if they need to dedicate extra rushers. Can they? Sure. But yeah, it's, it's a really tall task, no doubt about it. Ayahuasca data scientist, I do, man. Uh, hot take, Jordan's cap hit next year will exceed Aaron's cap hit this year. Ooh, so you think uh, J-Love's going to have a cap number of over 40 next year? I can't see that. I, I think Again, 2025, let's say Jordan Love signs that extension in May. They may throw a little bit of money in 2024, but that number will see kind of explode as the contract goes on. So maybe 2025, but uh, I, I think next year they're going to try to keep J-Love's number very, very close to, to what it is. Like Hebbles, I don't get misty-eyed over sports often, but that image of MLF choking up patting Jordan on the chest after Sunday's win got to me. So many doubters silenced. Yeah, that was one hell of a picture, right? I wish I still had it saved in my, uh, could pull it up here, but I don't. But I mean, what a cool picture. And it's it's been neat to see the evolution of the photography of those two together. Because like you've got the training camp pictures where they're determined and talking, right? And it's a lot of, <laughs> I don't want to say stern, but a lot of staring at each other, right? And then you've got at the midpoint, there was that one really cool picture that was Jordan and the floor uh, crouching next to each other in a locker going over what looked like a tablet or a playbook, kind of the essence of teacher and student there. And then now 
you've got like the mission accomplished picture, the absolute pride from Lafleur, the look of Jordan of just like being happy at the mission isn't done. It was, it was, uh, yeah, you hit it spot on. They've got some really cool pictures together. Ayahuasca data scientist thoughts on Vrabel as defensive coordinator. I, it, I'll say this, it's not going to happen. Um, I would love it. Sure. I mean, I know his defense in Tennessee wasn't exactly stellar this year, but still it's more of a culture hire really. But there's two things in the way. One, I think Mike Vrabel is just going to walk into another head coaching job. Similar, like around mid-year, there were a lot of calls for maybe Tomlin's going to get fired, right? Well, and then a few Packer people were pining after, well, if we could get Tomlin. But if Tomlin were to get fired, he'd walk right into another head coaching job. And I think Vrabel's probably in that same class. Like he's just going to go get another head coaching job. He's not going to be a DC anywhere. Even if he does settle back into being a DC, I'm not sure Lafleur and Vrabel necessarily ever loved each other in the one year that they worked together at Tennessee. I'm not sure that Lafleur, not that not that it's an insecurity thing or whatever, but Vrabel's a very, very large and authoritative like leader. I'm just not sure that that would totally jive in Green Bay's culture at the moment. So, yeah, I just I have, I have a hard time seeing that one occur on a lot of different levels. Like how Lamb had a career game last year against us. We got to run the ball like that again, forcing Parsons to be a more traditional linebacker, which really hurt them. Yeah, and if you go peruse Dallas Cowboy rooms, pods, whatever, there is a large criticism of Micah Parsons. Like if you're going to find one thing to criticize, it's the fact that he seems to be so focused on the quarterback that he occasionally forgets other responsibilities. And so, yes, I agree. If you can put him into more of that traditional linebacker role, then, you know, he can't just fire off the ball at the line of scrimmage. And Dallas can be run on. Keep in mind, too, I'm going to pull out the exact uh, numbers in the graphic in the game preview on Friday, but Dan Quinn, as defensive coordinator of Dallas, has really struggled against Shanahan-esque offenses this year, in part because of those offenses' ability to run the ball. So I, I think you hit it spot on, like Cavs. That's one of the keys to the offense. Randy, what unscouted looks are left in Lafleur's bag? Stay tuned. It's a mighty good question, right? Did they empty the playbook just trying to make the playoffs? I think what may actually come about is we may see some looks that we haven't seen because the entire group of personnel may actually be there, which is something we really haven't seen this year, right? I mean, what does the passing offense completely look like when you have Christian Watson, Wicks, Dobbs, and Reed, and Melton and Heath? Like, what, is, what does that even look like? from a schematic standpoint. And that says nothing to speak of the 12 personnel that now could be rolled out that they probably were very apprehensive to do earlier in the year with Kraft and Musgrave when Kraft was very much learning how to participate in the NFL. You know, LaFleur even talked in his press conference today about Kraft specifically in the growth. They knew he was capable of becoming a well-rounded tight end, but they didn't necessarily see that it was going to be so quick during Musgrave's absence. And LeFleur gave full credit to that to Kraft. So I think while maybe from a pure like schematic standpoint, maybe the plays, I don't want to say exhausted, but getting close to the bottom of the bag, but 
how he can use those plays with different personnel groupings, that we may just be the tip of the iceberg. Uh, like Ebbles, you know, Brandy, I noticed a lot of the wacky trick plays disappeared around the Chiefs game. Wonder if they are saving those looks with these rising stars for the playoffs. Uh, potentially. I think it also might just be that a lot of those trick plays, because keep in mind the Chiefs was the Chiefs game is when they were kind of coming out of their stagnation. Yeah, against Detroit, they did very well, but same thing against the Chargers. But the Chiefs was the we've fully evolved now as an offense. So I think maybe LaFleur just Kind of tapered him back because he felt like he didn't need to have some kind of spark now. But yeah, we haven't seen uh, we haven't seen a flea flicker, and thankfully we've seen a great reduction in jet sweeps over the last three weeks as well. Brandy, do you see the Packers beating man coverage consistently on Sunday, and how? Um, I think they're certainly capable. Now, Christian Watson being back would help in that regard a lot, even if it's fifteen snaps, twenty snaps, what have you. Having his speed and size would be instrumental in breaking down Dallas's man coverage. But ultimately, you do have receivers on the Packers who are able to get open. Jaden Reed is one, and he does it through kind of a combination of different factors, just using physicality and route running. Speaking of route running, you have Dontavian Wicks, who even in the game against Chicago, there was one clip where I saw being shared where he, his uh, release from the line was very, very reminiscent of Devontae Adams. So they are capable of beating man coverage, certainly. And frankly, I'm not tremendously worried about this version of Stefan Gilmore that is playing for Dallas. We don't even know if he's going to play because it's going to be uh, Saturday is the first practice that Gilmore may participate in, according to McCarthy. It's sounding like he's going to play, but still, that would make me a titch nervous. So, uh, yeah, it's they can, for sure. McKnight saying, which three offensive linemen will have the best blocking in the game? All right, well, they got to go Elton Jenkins by default, right? Zach Tom is unstoppable at this point. And then I'm going to take the easy answer, too. Let's go with Rasheed Walker. I think Zach Tom and Rasheed Walker are in for very good games if they can get Parsons to back off like we were mentioned earlier about making him tra play traditional linebacker. So let's go. Let's go with those three as of right now. Iwaska is big Mike fired. If we beat him on Sunday, um, if it's a, I'm going to go with, if it's a close game, no. If green Bay somehow rolls in there and wins by 30, then yeah, then I could see it for sure. But if it's a close game, I just, I don't know if I can, uh, I don't know. I don't know if I can get that, that yet. Uh, here we go. William Ryan, how about Reed and Jones in the backfield with Musgrave in the slot? I'm down. <laughs> I'm down for it to make that easy. Uh, and then sprinkle in if he's playing, sprinkle in Christian Watson on the outside, right? Like, and that's the cool thing about the Packers weaponry. Like, I've been talking about this for weeks, right? That everyone is so diverse. You can fall in love with a different playmaker on the Packers for a different reason. If you want route running, you got wicks. If you want speed, you got like you could find a different trade to love, right? And now if you put out some kind of formation like that, it's like, how is a defense going to cover that exactly? It's, that's the beauty of their offense right now. And that's a little bit of what we can yet expect to see that we haven't been able to see to this point for sure. Uh, I was going to Devontae on Wicks. Yeah. I mean, it is really cool. Like there are certainly shades of Adams in Wicks's game. It's, it's awesome. Uh, William Ryan, how do you feel about Zimmer as DC? 
Okay. Um, mostly good. Let's say that. I I don't hate the idea of the Packers switching to a 4-3 base. Granted, nickel would still be like the true base, but just philosophically speaking, more of a 4-3. Uh, and that's obviously Zimmer's wheelhouse, right? Beyond that, Zimmer... I don't I know the last two years in Minnesota, there was a lot of stuff about like, you know, the, the league has figured out Zimmer's defense and he wasn't getting along with the locker room well anymore. But I kind of look at him like Vic Fangio in the regard of there have been a lot of imitators of the style of defense, but still the one that does it best is the one who created it. And then so that's Zimmer, that's Fangio. If Lafleur decides as though he wants that kind of personality, if Lafleur and Zimmer don't absolutely want to assault each other, because I don't think they like each other very much, then, I mean, I could see it. One thing I do want the defensive coordinator to have, if they move on from Joe Barry, is I want the defensive coordinator to have the wherewithal to have a voice strong enough in the front office. Okay, Because over the last few years, we haven't seen that many players picked that are Joe Barry picks, right? But yet on the special team side of things, we've seen that a hundred times with Passaccia. You know, we we do a free agent signing or off of the waiver wire. Well, that's a Passaccia guy. How many times have we done that about drafting someone and then going, well, that's a Joe Barry guy. It's not all that often. It's the personnel and the scheme haven't really matched up much over the whole of the course of three years. So I think whoever it is, it's going to have to be someone that... Uh, Someone that actually has some wherewithal to have a voice in the front office. Big B, you made me fill up a whole page of notes on my phone. Thank you. <laughs> of course. Thanks. Thanks for being here. Uh, Kempton Boy, I really hope the entire receiving core is playing to keep the Cowboys' defense on their heels. As much as Dallas has struggled to stop the run, they also struggle against play action. Yeah, and I don't have the exact numbers pulled up, um, but that's true. And that's part of the overall struggle against the Shanahan-esque offense for the Dallas Cowboys. It has been a struggle for them this year. That plays very well into Green Bay's hand. And I'm not sitting here saying, oh, for sure they're going to put up 40. Like, no. But what Dallas seemingly is weak at does happen to be a lot of Green Bay's strengths. You know, in the last game alone, Love put up something like it was like 160 of his yards were from play-action plays which has become an increasing amount in the offense this year as everyone's gotten more settled. Because I'd mentioned this on the watch party, the terms of play action being called in Green Bay has kind of gone like this throughout the year. Over the last few weeks, it's certainly on an upswing. And the offense being more successful with that in conjunction, I don't think that's a coinky ding. So ultimately, um, Dallas's weakness do seem to play into Green Bay's strengths well for that side of the ball. That's something to look forward to, I would think. Like Ebbles, MLF has had his best games when he is expected to lose big. Cardinals, regular season 49ers, yep, 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 multiple years, of course, this year. That's true. And in 2019, Dallas, the entire offense was Jones because Adams is out for a while. Yeah, also true. Um, but ultimately, I mean, that's, it's a weird thing. Yeah, right. And then there's other games where it's expected to be an easier game for Green Bay, and then they just like forget to wake up in the morning. So that's a bit of a thing. And uh yeah, again, can't can't hurt. Brandy Barry's use 
of a of a blitz from the linebacker position has worked decently the couple times it was ran. Do you see Barry being as passive with this as he always has been? Um, I guess that question is kind of two sided. I I personally would absolutely not be. And like you mentioned, that blitz from the linebacker position that is a perfect utilization of Quay Walker and his skill set. But saying that for weeks, that that is how you have to use Quay Walker. Collegiately, that's when he was at his best, too, was doing those types of blitzes. I am terrified that Green Bay is going to walk into this game and say, well, Dallas's passing attack is so potent, we cannot give up the big play. Back them up. Back them up. Safeties get 30 yards back. I am terrified of that mentality coming from Green Bay and Joe Barry. The the saving grace here is over the last two weeks, we have seen some pretty radical departures from Joe Barry's core principles. There's been a lot of change there. I would hope that that's going to carry through the Dallas. But logically, I just feel this pull towards they're taking one look at Dak hitting CD and Brandon Cooks running deep posts and and they're just going to back them up. And I am terrified of that, Brandy. So logically, I think they're going to be backed up. But I so hope with everything that I'm wrong. And then, uh, oh, hey, Peter. Nice to see you. Bonjour. Thanks a lot for answering on Instagram. Of course, of course. Any chance to see Watson, Dobbs, and Dylan play on Sunday? Uh, Dobbs, I think, has got a pretty good shot. Uh, he was listed as limited today. We know that he was... Like he coughed up blood during the game against the Bears, went to the hospital, but made it back in time for the post-game celebration. Uh, I think he's got a pretty good shot to play, just kind of feeling out what that injury may be. Seems more impact-related as opposed to something being like wrong, wrong, I guess you could say. Watson, who freaking knows, Peter? I mean, because Matt LaFleur admitted after the Bears game that there was some gamesmanship last week on the part of LaFleur and the Packers, that maybe in the press they were building Watson up to be a little bit more likely to play than was the true actual thing going on behind the scenes. So who freaking knows? But I gotta believe. I mean, even after the Bears game, LaFleur again said that we would see how Watson goes throughout the week, and they were hopeful. I don't know. I um, I don't want to get my hopes up and then be hurt again. As for Dylan, that's a really good question. I mean, he's, I would think by now, generally speaking anyway, with stingers, they aren't a multi-week injury. So without having any details at all, you would think that that would be coming to the end of the road there. But that thumb, if he truly like re-aggravated that thumb, or now there might be some tendon problems with the bone, or like just pure speculation on my part here, keep in mind, then, yeah, there's going to be some real difficulty in him getting back there. Um, so we'll just we'll have to see. And I'm hoping that as the week progresses, we actually get some more details from Flafleur. Of course, as the team actually practices more in earnest as opposed to doing a, a jog through, we will get more concrete indications from the injury report. Today is just kind of a lot of guesswork since the Packers themselves were basically guessing. Ah, Danny, plan for Parsons, three people blocking again. I wouldn't be shocked by that at all. And that could be part of the strength of enrolling a lot of 12 personnel in this game, especially putting Kraft on whatever side Parsons goes to. I think that that's 
a logical plan. And then you're just hoping that if it's man coverage, read, et cetera, can just beat their men. If it's zone, then you're really relying on Lafleur to scheme up some stuff again. So, but I think that that probably does have to be the main consideration or the main go-to plan for the Packers. I, I really do think so. David. Hi, John. Hello, David. Nice to see you here. Rocket knees. Watson exploded on the national scene against the Cowboys. Imagine he puts up two or three to 150 plus yards. He'll be our new Cowboys killer. Cowboy fans are nervous as they should be going against the baby Packers. And I mean, another player that's historically done very, very well against Dallas has been Aaron Jones. And he looks phenomenal over the last three weeks. I mean, crossing the century mark every single week for three. Yeah. I mean, he's looking great. So I don't know. It's just, I don't want to make this matchup sound easy. It's certainly not it. It is a very, very difficult matchup. But I would be remiss if I didn't say that there are some things that really do lead in Green Bay's way. And that's something to be very, very hopeful for. Mick, will Jonathan Ford be called up for this game? (laughs) He hasn't used up all of his activations yet. Mick, your commitment to the bit is admirable. And I highly highly doubt it Mick. i'm i'm very sorry <laughs> I, I don't see i don't see jonathan ford being active for this one in order to clamp down tony pollard if anything i think we'll see a larger emphasis on secondary or again filling in injuries with the actual active list on game day all right everybody looks like i caught up on all the questions so it is time for me to get on out of here hope you all have a great rest of your wednesday oh here we got one more brandy sneaking in uh shotgun runs yes or no um, in theory, I don't mind them. Green Bay doesn't have the most success in the world running out of shotgun. I think specifically against Dallas, it could help if Micah Parsons is showing tendency to overcommit to getting love. If, and this is, I guess I would just say that this is a feel-out situation, right? Because if you're starting off the game and it looks like Parsons isn't even driving that hard to get after love, then no, I don't really want to do shotgun runs. Not against Lawrence, not against their front. No, I'd rather just line up and run, like true runs. Um, but if it looks like Lawrence, Parsons, those guys are overcommitting, kind of like we see Rashawn Gary do sometimes, then I think it could be quite useful to garner some chunk plays up the middle. That I, that I could see going for sure. And then one last one, Peter. How many points do you think our Packers must score to get a fair chance to beat the Dallas Cowboys? Um, Dallas, you can, it's a pretty sure bet they're going to put up at least in the high 20s, right? Um, let's go with Green Bay's got to put up 33 again. Let's go with that. It seems to be a number that they like to hone in on. So let's just give them 33. And let's say that that's kind of the, the threshold might they score under that and still win yeah like it's possible but if this is the shootout a lot of people think it can be then let's go with 33 oh man people just keep on sneaking in here all right mick uh mick saying like button find it agree thank you uh and then dan really honestly the last one dan it seems to me draft and develop works well when the young guys get playing time early um yes and no i think because the quarterback is a great example of someone that that might not have gone well for Right? Because if Jordan Love would have played as a rookie, that could have been ugly. There were a lot of rough tendencies of his coming out of college. So I think it depends a little bit on the position. Um, so, I mean, like quarterback, I think, is its own category. Kraft's ascension has not been orthodox. Let's say that. 
Um, because tight end is generally one of the most difficult positions to learn on the field. They're responsible for so much blocking patterns and route running. And like, they got a lot going on. And the way that he has ascended during Musgrave's injury has, is not normal. Let's say that. So if we're talking on the whole, I mean, yeah, for wide receivers, running backs, some positions on the defense, I can totally get with that. But there are some positions that I would caution against using that as a hard and fast rule for sure all right everybody thank you thanks for stopping in do hope you enjoyed this q a i'll be back on friday with the game preview for packers versus cowboys bigby you can go a whole nother page of notes from that one but going to be talking about all the details all numbers for packers versus cowboys in order to get ready and then on sunday there will be a watch party for the wild card matchup thanks so much everybody for being here do hope you are having a great day and as always oh let me find it go pack go